It is so exciting uh, to come into this time of year and begin to think about all of this week that is ahead of us. Palm Sunday is a big deal. And uh, as I've been thinking about it all this week, it occurred to me that Palm Sunday is really a turning point. Everything shifts. Now, it's been shifting in the story, but at this point, it's a turning point that's recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, We heard that a little bit earlier. And it's a movement. It's really the beginning of the end. I think I'm on the next slide. And it's also the beginning of the beginning, uh, this scene that is so familiar to us, uh, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And if we've been around church very long, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've uh, heard it preached, we've heard it taught, we've thought about it. And uh, that's almost dangerous, as I've said a few times before, because it gets so familiar, we could almost tune it out and, and not really understand what's going on. It's really a little bit puzzling, because we know uh, that as this week goes on, even as we hear the word Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, save us now, that those same voices or at least a number of them, are going to change and shout, crucify him, crucify him. It may not be the exact same crowd. I always think there's some infiltration going on. But it's one of those things that's a bit baffling. How in the world does that happen? That the most popular rock star of the day is suddenly uh, now vilified and, and cries for his execution are taking place. And as you might think, if you've been around me very much, we need to know a little bit about the context of what is going on here. So we're going to look at the context and we're going to build what I'm going to call a frame around the picture. We could call it a context frame. So if you want to know where I'm going, that's where I'm going. I'm going to talk a little bit about it before I read the scripture that we're going to dig into. There are four pieces uh, to this context frame that we want to consider uh, for us to, ha- to help us to understand triumphal entry. And the first happened maybe a week or two or more before the events of Palm Sunday. We don't know exactly when this happened, but it's huge. It's pivotal. It's, it's very impacting. And the first piece of this frame is the raising of Lazarus. It's one chapter before uh, in, the, in the book of John. Uh, before this triumphal entry. Uh, in John chapter 11, we, we uh, hear the story about how Jesus heard about his, his dear friend, Lazarus, is sick. But Jesus just kind of blows it off. He just says, okay. And, and he waits two whole days. Now, what we know about Jesus is he could just, we already know he could just say the word. You say, okay, I've taken care of it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't begin the journey, he doesn't begin to travel, he doesn't go to his friend. And and by the time he gets there, uh, Lazarus is dead. And he knows, they're on their way, and he he tells the the disciples, he says, well, he's dead. He's he's asleep, but he's dead. He's no longer with us. And he travels to to a place called Bethany. It's going to be a real important part in our story. And he goes and he has conversation with the sisters, Mary and Martha. You may remember, it's a fabulous story. And, um, and, and it ends with the raise. He calls Lazarus forth uh, from the tomb. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, 
yet shall he live. Why don't we go back a slide? Can we do that and read that out loud together? It's so much of the importance of this. Let's say it out loud. I am the resurrection. You can do better than that. You're not even enthusiastic. Let's do better than that. Ready? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And that's what we are celebrating. We know that's our target. We know that's where we are headed. So where is this place? Where is Bethany? Bethany is just 1.72 miles from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. You might say, well, that's not very far. But it's a bit of a walk because you have to go over the Mount of Olives. It's not all that easy. I mean, it's pretty steep up there and then over on the other side. Uh, So it was uh, a little more than what we call a Sabbath day journey. But the raising of of Lazarus right that close rattled the city. I mean, it just disturbed everybody in one way or another. Because it's one thing to hear about some miracle worker that's up in Galilee. uh, And things are happening up there. And you're hearing about people that are healed of this and healed of that. That's way up there. But this, look how close this is. One point, that's not even a good walk on a day to day. 1.7 miles just over the mountain is right in the face of the religious authorities. Right in the face of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so people are really taking notice. We don't want to miss the importance of this. And this is what's leading up to uh, the scriptures that we are considering today. And that we want to hear and and know about. So I'm going to read a little bit more. Beginning in John 11.45. It's right after this has taken place. And uh, and we're considering this whole thing of the triumphal entry. Uh, And you have a a bit more scripture in in your uh, notes. But I read that at the beginning. We read that at the very beginning of the service. So beginning in verse 45. Many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now, 
The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another, as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, they should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for her day, for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, I seek to understand this moment, this turning point. And understand these things that were going on around our Lord Jesus. I seek that we might understand in a better way the things that were going on. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the children are going to be dismissed at this time. And we have our workers are ready. Is that right? Okay, all right, fine. Thank you. So the first piece of the context frame around the picture of this triumphant entry uh, is the one that I talked about before I read scripture, was the raising of Lazarus in Bethany. It's hard to overestimate the impact that this had on everything that was going on. The second piece of the context frame uh, is this plan to kill Jesus. Uh, there was a, increasingly a sense of threat uh, for these religious leaders. And to the Pharisees, it's because Jesus was an, uh, an uneducated preacher. Uh, he hadn't gone to any of the places where they went. Uh, he, he wasn't seminary trained, we would say. He hadn't studied under any of the famous rabbis. And here he was speaking with a kind of authority uh, like no one had ever heard. 
Uh, we've been talking about it for the, the recent weeks in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. How they were just blown away by the way Jesus taught. He gathered thousands of people. If you want to threaten some religious leaders, just gather thousands of people and they get a little bit irritated by it. To the Sadducees, Jesus was a political threat and an economic threat. Uh, as he gathered these crowds, they were, they were worried about what was going to happen uh, if the Romans took notice of this. The Romans were already occupying everything, but they were allowing them to keep their temple. And they could just destroy their whole setup anytime they wanted. Uh, if they began uh, to realize the people were seeing Jesus as Messiah and as a liberator. So some saw the miracle of Lazarus and they believed in Jesus. Uh, so Lazarus was a big, important part of this story. Others, uh, they came to report Jesus. You know, he's out there. We don't know what this was about. Maybe it was drama. You know, maybe it was a big fake. Uh, I don't know. It smelled pretty bad over there. Uh, but, uh, but we're going to report Jesus. And, and so the raising of Lazarus, it escalates this threat to Jesus. So they call the council. It's like calling a meeting of the, I don't know, the city council or the Congress or something like this. This was the Jewish Congress, the Sanhedrin, uh, to discuss this. And they said, what are we going to do? This man's performing signs. And, and if we let him go on like this, everybody's going to believe in him. I mean, how could they not? Maybe they should have listened to themselves a little bit there. And the high priest, as we heard, actually prophesied this atoning work of Jesus, uh, even though they didn't all understand that until later. So plans were being made uh, to uh, put Jesus to death. Uh, we see that in, in uh, chapter 11, verse 53. We often think of this Holy Week, and we think the charges against Jesus were just something that cropped up during that week. He was irritating people uh, in the temple courts and things like that. No, there was a conspiracy. Before Jesus ever was approaching, there was a conspiracy to put Jesus to that. Of course, he knew that. Of course, God knew that, and God was at work in all of these things. And, and that was the prophetic word by Caiaphas. Uh, he didn't say this of his own accord. Jesus would die for the nation, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God uh, who were scattered abroad. Now, the thing you really don't want to miss is that the purpose of God is to gather his people purpose of God is to gather his people. It's to get us together. And the purpose of the enemy is to scatter God's people. If you didn't get anything else, we need to get that. He's bringing together his people, this crowd, this, this call for salvation, this connection with God. And, and, and we really don't want to miss that. You see, the enemy knows that if he can scatter us, if he can get you away from the body, you are so vulnerable. You, you begin to listen to him. You begin to listen to the whispers. You begin to uh, develop the self-doubts and all of those things. But if we are gathered together, there's such strength. And that's what so much of this is about, this purpose to gather together. The next piece of the context frame is this hiding in Ephraim. It's a part of the, of the story that we don't often think about or maybe we haven't even heard much about we we can so quickly get to the the morning to the palm sunday morning and the entry all of the shouts and the palms and everything like that but this verse is amazing 
Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, we spent two years with this. But went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Jesus actually took the disciples into lockdown. (laughs) And and he got them away uh, from these threats that were going on. It wasn't a big distance, but he got them away. And why was that? Was Jesus afraid? I don't think so. Let me ask you, was Jesus afraid? Won't you say it back to me? I don't think so. I don't think so. How could that be? I mean, we know a little bit later in the story, in Matthew 26, uh, Jesus says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? They're ready. Army of angels ready. You know, and anybody with Jesus, you know, didn't need to be afraid. So it wasn't out of fear. Uh, but it may have been to, to shield his followers for a time. Um, but I think it was about something even more important than that. And that's timing. See, timing was everything in the mission of Jesus. I mean, we see it a, a bunch of times. Very early in the ministry of Jesus. Do you remember? They were at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And, and Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, asked Jesus to help with a wine shortage. They, they had, the host had run out of wine and, and they were friends. Uh, and so she, uh, she went to Jesus and it's sort of funny the way it's written. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And you can almost see her go, <laughs> do something about it. I, I happen to know, I know all about you because I was told by angels all about you. And, uh, and Jesus said to her, uh, woman, that's sort of strong. I never called my mother woman, but woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But we also know that he went and he filled, had them fill the, the, uh, the jugs with water and turned water into wine. First miracle that we find him doing in the gospels. There's another time where the brothers of Jesus came and they urged him. They said, go to the Feast of Tabernacles and do some healing signs. Do some of this. You know, you you should be known and show yourself to the world. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, my time, time, see, has not yet come. But your time is always here. You go ahead. He actually did not go to that feast. It's the first time I've ever seen. I always assumed Jesus went to every feast, three feasts a year. He's Jesus. And it says he did not go to that feast. Specifically, it was not yet time for him to go and reveal who he was. And now we begin to see that Jesus knew he was on a final countdown to the cross and the resurrection. Uh, Pastor Ann talked about it in, in her uh, student message this weekend, about the, the, the predictions that happened. Back at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. It's the first time. Uh, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the target. And it all revolved around Passover. Not just any Passover, this Passover. Nothing was going to take Jesus by surprise. 
Uh, he, he knew everything that was going to be happening, and it had to be timed just right. You know, to hear that, uh, I hope you heard that student message, because it talks about coming to that 3 o'clock on Friday, and that's when the ram's horn is, is sounded, and that's when the sacrifice was made uh, on that uh, Passover weekend. And so it's just so very, very powerful that that's when he says, Telestai, he says, uh, it is finished, the debt is paid. So Jesus and the disciples hid out in this town called Ephraim. We don't even know for how long. It may have been several weeks because we don't know the timing of, of the raising of Lazarus. Now, I was really curious about this. Aren't you glad when I get curious? Okay. So, and that town has been identified with a modern town uh, that's called Taibei. It's spelled Taibei, but it's called Taibei. Say with me, Taibei. And Taibei in Arabic means good and kind. It was a good and kind place, uh, or it's known in that way. In the Old Testament, it had a different name called Ophrah. And Ophrah would be Ephraim. That's where that comes from. Today, it's a Palestinian Christian town. It's nine miles away from Jerusalem. That's a good distance. Just to give you an idea, it would be like walking from here to Cocoa Beach. Uh, that's a long walk. That's a waste. But even more, it, it, was, uh, it was in an excellent location because it was up in the Badlands, so to speak. About 1,300 people live there today. And they're very proud. They are thought to be the only Christian village left in Israel. That's a Christian village. All around it are Muslim villages. And they're very proud to be the place that sheltered Jesus and his disciples in this time, right before Holy Week. So he's gone up to this wilderness region, this Badlands region. And we realize from the scripture, Jesus is now on Judea's most wanted list. <laughs> I mean, there's an, a bolo and an APB out on him. Uh, I mean, they're saying, if you hear him, if you see him, you need to report it back. And it'll be bad for you if you don't. The chief priests and the Pharisees have given those orders. And many begin to wonder if Jesus will even show up for Passover. How many of you think Jesus will show up for Passover? <laughs> yeah, he's going to show up. But it's interesting that th this is all going on and the people are saying, I don't even know if he would. Why would he come? This is really, really dangerous. And the truth is he could have skipped all this. He could have just said, I, I think I've had enough or, you know, I don't think it's the right time or something like that. And then comes the fourth piece of our context frame, and that is he comes out of hiding. It's so very powerful. So we have the, la the raising of Lazarus, the plan to kill Jesus, the hiding in Ephraim, and now coming out of hiding is so important. Where did he go? Jesus came back to Bethany, came back the nine miles to Bethany, he came back right there, 1.72 miles away from uh, the headquarters over there where the Sadducees and the Pharisees were. It's now six days before Passover. He knows the timing. And, and, and Jerusalem, you know, this was the sort of uh, headquarters for him over in Bethany. It's where he had always come. It's where he had always stayed. He never, we never see him stay in the city. He stayed with his friends, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And so, uh, and it's where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. It's right there, this thing that stirred everybody up. 
They had a spacious home. They were able to host all of those, you know, the disciples and probably a much larger entourage that was traveling with them. So he's there six days before the Passover is to begin the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the scripture says that they gave a dinner in his honor. I like the way that's translated in the NIV and the NLT. The literal Greek says they made to him a supper there. It was a supper to him, to honor him, not just for him, not just to feed him. And that was a dangerous thing. It was dangerous hospitality. The hosts were Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but they moved the dinner to the home of a man called Simon the leper. Now, the leper is not a last name. He's called Simon the leper because at one time he had had leprosy. And let me just tell you, you don't host a, a party in your home if you have leprosy. So he was obviously cleansed of leprosy. And Jesus may have thought, let's go to his house because it will be less conspicuous. They're, they're going to be watching the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They'll be watching there, but let's go over here. I, I think he may have suggested it. At the dinner, there were probably testimonials about Jesus um, you know, I, I, I spoke about this last year about Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. He's a celebrity. Everybody wants to see Lazarus, and, and it's, it's really upsetting people. Simon the leper, obviously, and others, you know, perhaps Bartimaeus or Zacchaeus, some of the tax collectors, people like that. And then Mary, who, who poured a pound of pure nard, just so you know, current day wages, that's worth 24 thousand dollars how many of you have some perfume worth twenty four thousand dollars i i don't i think it exists actually but you know we he she pours all of that out and the large crowd then learned jesus was there and so now they're clamoring they're coming outside there's a there's a group growing not a mob but there's a group growing and, and they want to see lazarus they want to see Jesus, but they want to see Lazarus because here's a guy that everybody tells us was stinking in the tomb who came out and Jesus said, unwrap him. And he's alive and walking around and telling people, what is it like to die and come back? Now I say raised from the dead because that's different from resurrection. When you and I get resurrected, that's forever and ever. Lazarus died again. All the people who were raised from the dead, but it's a symbol, it's an image, it shows us. It shows us the power of God over death. Amen? Amen. And so when this happened, a plan was put in place uh, to put Lazarus to death as well. We gotta get rid of this guy. This, this is bad news. Let's silence this guy. So this is the frame, and this is the context, this is the picture that we celebrate uh, the raising of Lazarus, the plan to kill Jesus, the Jesus hiding in Ephraim and then coming out of hiding. And so now at last, it's time for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And Jesus made all the arrangements to, to ride a small donkey into town. Uh, he could have walked into town. It'd be easier, I think, <laughs> than riding on a small donkey. Uh, but it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And as disciples, uh, John admits it, we didn't get it. We didn't understand. We just do what he says. We didn't understand until later. 
And so this crowd that had seen the raising of Lazarus continued to bear witness. They continued to, to uh, proclaim the greatness of Jesus. It says that the reason for the huge crowd was because of this miracle. And this disturbed the Pharisees. This was not what they had wanted to see happen. And they were afraid. And here's the truth that we really don't want to miss as we begin this week we call Holy Week. Is that testimony of resurrection power terrifies the enemies of God. The enemy and the enemies will do anything to silence that testimony. When you have resurrection in your life, when you have an area of your life that God has reached in and brought you back to life after there was death, that's a testimony that needs to be heard. And it's so very powerful. So what do we need to get out of this, out of this study? Pharisees were saying to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. We need to hear that. Well, Jesus did a lot for you, didn't he? In this week we call holy. Say amen. And we immediately think, well, yes, he died for me. He saved me. This is the the sacrifice. But there's a lot. He, He actually went into hiding in Ephraim for you to time things just right. And then he came out of hiding for you to time things just right. He walked the most difficult path anyone could ever walk for you. Are you grateful for that? Amen. And he showed us that we can come out of hiding with him. You know, I mean, we've been going through a lot in these past two years. And there are people that I know, I know that they're not in hiding. They, they can't be here. They connect every week. We're in touch with them. They connect every week. But I have not seen them in two years. But they cannot come. They cannot come in public. And I know that. So I'm not saying anything about that. But we really are at a place of making a choice. And making a choice not not just in being present, at least in some small measure, but in reconnecting and gathering in the strength of the body of Christ. That's what we celebrate this week. You see, the choice we make this week is this. Will we remain in hiding in Ephraim or gather into the plan of God, which is to gather his people as one. That's the question. You know, Ephraim is good. Ephraim is this good and kind place, but Ephraim is not forever. And the Lord would draw us out, call us out, no matter what's been going on, call us into the gathering of God. You know, uh, next weekend is the weekend everybody tends to come out. And, and we, we celebrate resurrection. And that's what this is all about. But we need to be gathering to celebrate resurrection and celebrate resurrection and celebrate resurrection. Because you see, resurrection power terrifies the enemy. Terrifies the enemy. Next weekend is, uh, the, the enemy hates next weekend more than anything else. And and that quote, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. If we proclaim resurrection, everyone will believe in him. 
But if as believers we stay in hiding, no one will believe in him. How will they hear? But if believers can gather and testify to the resurrection, the power of resurrection, there will be belief, there will be hope. And I don't know a time in recent history when I've thought we need hope more. Amen? This is the message that needs to be heard. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much uh, that you reign above it all, (laughs) over the universe and and over every concern that we have. I'm so grateful that that you are here in this place and and the places uh, where we are gathered, where we are connecting in our homes. But God, we, we... We seek to be gathered together as body of Christ, connected together as body of Christ, to be part of raising up palms and raising up voices, to be part of shouting, Hosanna, save us now, save us now. Father God, we thank you for for the message of this week. We thank you for the message of Palm Sunday, this, this amazing day, but we thank you for everything that was carefully planned for this week. In Jesus' name, amen.